0: I'm going to be honest with you, most pastors of other denominations will try to sell you on all the programs their church has. They'll try to win people over for Christ. They'll say, look at how many young people are in our church. We must be doing something right. You should join us. Most pastors will boast about their great accomplishments, all their programs, all their events. And to be honest, I've slipped into this too. If you're at the voters' meeting assembly last week and you read my report, you, you saw all the great things that we've done this year, and we have done some great things. In fact, last night I got an email uh, saying that our, our preschool uh, just won the, the, and it was a totally legit report, said that we won the best preschool in Oregon. I'm not sure how that works. <laughs> but if I'm really honest, most of my work as a pastor and most of our work together hasn't been what you would call great or successful. Our efforts at outreach and community service have been met with indifference. Our efforts at evangelism have, haven't brought in new visitors, even according to a fraction of the time and the effort that we've put in. When you knock on 800 doors, as we did this spring And only get a handful of people who even maybe at some point would even possibly be interested in entering your church doors. Uh, That's not very efficient or successful. Our evangelism and the different things that we've tried have for the most part fallen on deaf ears. Now, business-minded pastors and people might say, well, only if we did this. If only we had a school, or if only we had a preschool. If only we had a worship band. If only we used different music. If only we had more kids. If only. Now, there's nothing wrong with adjusting plans. In fact, after the service uh, this morning, we're going to be talking about adjusting our Christmas program to better suit our congregation and our community. But no matter what we do, even if some program does work better than another, we will always have more people ignore, reject, or flat-out condemn our message than hear and receive it. And the reason is, you cannot convince the devil to believe. You cannot convince the devil to believe. No matter how winsome you are, and no matter what gimmicks you dangle in front of him, you cannot make the devil believe. Not everyone will go to heaven. The devil has caused many people to reject the gospel. And to me, this is the saddest thing that I can imagine. How so, how, how so many can reject the gospel. And I have a tendency to, to take it personally because uh, I know how much the gospel means. I know how important the gospel message is. Uh, I know what tremendous comfort the message of Christ gives. How how could someone be so foolish to reject the message of the gospel that they are loved by God, that they are so loved by God, in fact, that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for them to save them from all their sins? How in the world could anyone, why would anyone reject that message? There is no better news than that. But what we view in the church as comfort that Jesus saves the worldview is as offensive because it means that their worldview is threatened and what, what they've always thought about themselves and the world is wrong and what they know from experience is wrong the fact that there is a savior from sin means that they are sinners who could not save themselves It means that everything they find their comfort in in this life, their possessions, their family, their friends, uh, their their ideology, their, their own works, is useless when talking about eternal life. And that is hugely threatening. It makes them vulnerable. Because it means that they aren't as good or as powerful as they thought they were. And so, most people will simply try to avoid the pain and the humiliation of being changed by the Word of God. And they will put their trust in their own ignorance. Most people will reject the invitation that God gives. How dare God presume to think that they could benefit from a free banquet of heaven. God says in Isaiah, "I reached out my hands all day to a stubborn people, who are walking in a way that is not good, who follow their own ideas." It's a warning, and this is sad, but it means something for us. And what it means is this: it means that we have no right, and I have no right, to take it personally when someone doesn't receive the gospel. The point of the parable that Jesus told in our gospel lesson about the people who reject the invitation to the the great banquet of the king, in our text from Isaiah, the point of them is not to guilt trip you into working harder. God does not need you to make his kingdom come. God does not need you. God wants you. God wants you to do evangelism because he wants you to be a part of his kingdom, his church. And his church does share the gospel, the good news with others. But God also wants you to know that if someone doesn't believe, it's not your fault. It's not your fault that most people reject him. That if only you would have done a better job then it somehow would have worked. That if only you would have done something differently as a parent, that your child would still believe in Jesus. That if only you had said something different to a friend, that they would still go to church with you. That if only. There is no if only with God. All of the elect are saved and sealed in the waters of holy baptism. It is not your responsibility to save them or to get them into heaven or to win someone over for Christ because that is something that you and I cannot do. This is not a tool or power that God has given to us. Now, God has given to us, as we heard last week, the power and authority to forgive sins. That's a duty of pastors. But we can't make someone receive that forgiveness. Uh, We can't force someone to be forgiven, to accept that forgiveness. And God doesn't either. God doesn't force people to admit their sin and receive their forgiveness. It's not God's fault that some people, most people in fact, reject Him. But it is by God's grace alone that causes someone to be saved. God puts himself out there for sinners. He's available. He lets himself be found. He says, here I am. God descends to us. God makes himself vulnerable. God hangs naked on a cross, surrounded by sinners who deserve to be there crucified by a people that should have known better, bearing the burdens of the entire world, carrying the guilt that you and I carry and feel over not what we didn't do or didn't say uh, to our friends and family. Jesus reached out his hands and let himself be pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities through the vulnerability of Christ, through the humiliation of Christ, God has forgiven the entire world. God has forgiven you. There's a cliche out there that says, God accepts you just as you are. It's meant to be comforting, but it's absolutely not true that God has something better. God has something more comforting. God declares you to be who he needs you to be. He declares you forgiven, because who you were, were a sinner, who sinned against others and yourself. He declares you guiltless, because he knows that you have carried your guilt over your failings. He declares you free, because you are a slave to your own sinful desires. He declares you an heir of eternal life, because you were dead in your trespasses and sins. He declares you righteous for Jesus' sake. He has clothed you in his own robe of righteousness, the royal wedding garment of heaven, in the waters of your baptism. God doesn't try to win people over with great accomplishments or neat gimmicks. God uses the most humble and foolish things. He saves the world through the weakness of Christ, through the cross. He brings you to faith through a few drops of Oregon tap water combined with His word of promise. He gives you strength to persevere in that faith through a wafer and a sip of wine that is united with Jesus' body and blood through his word. And God gives you a voice to, to, as weak and as unsure as it may be at times to speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to bring them the comfort of his word. To bring comfort to those out in the crossroads of life. To tell them not how great your church is, but to tell them how great your Savior is. And how he has redeemed his imperfect church and made it holy. God will save and does save, save those whom he calls, not through our great works or accomplishments but through His. In Jesus' name, Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, forevermore. Amen.